Welcome to our table, you beautiful human animals, for fun, health, and more. We'll dig into behavior and living right, plus other good things, with some laughs and hopefully a little insight. This is Better Health and World. I am Matt Crocomo, a credentialed writer and personal trainer, exploring how to maximize every day of the human experience at Matthew J. Better. Here, as usual, with my fellow health enthusiast and cultural commentarian, Joe Newbauer at Joe Knows MMA. Uh, we live in everybody. Hear him and me, and usually Gabriel Tambowin at Gabby underscore T on Better Fight Cast, your tightest coverage of the UFC and all things mixed martial arts for season bets of the purest, best of sport you can follow, and you rookie fight fans. Subscribe to that and this on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Now, let us take into the purest, bestest, everything and anything else right after this word from legal. Hello, Matthew Kogamo Jr. is a certified personal trainer. He is not acting in his capacity on this program. All information presented here is strictly for educational entertainment purposes. Furthermore, should you reference another person's program or piece of literature, he is not necessarily endorsing every position or opinion that he might represent. Please consult the appropriate medical professional before making any serious changes to your diet or lifestyle. Boom! Thanks, Leo. I got a couple of things to talk about. <coughs> I had a thought, a question, something. Um, like, people have certain... I don't know, people post a lot of, like, animal pictures and videos on mm-hmm. social media. I guess social media is where it stems from. It made me think about it, because there's a couple people on social media who are, like, animal people. And, I mean, I love animals. I love all animals. I've been a, I grew up with cats and dogs. Uh, and I've known other, other animals throughout the years and everything. Um, but there's something about people that, uh, I guess I'll just get into it now. Later we're going to talk about, um, maybe, an uh, article that came out today, I think, from the Harvard Chan School of Medicine or something. I don't know if that's the exact name of the school. Harvard put out an article, I believe, today about sugar. And I was, like, talking about and warning people about sugar, especially sugary drinks. I think that was the focus of the article. So we might get into that later. I might re, you know, dig, dig deep on that. Um, surprise! Uh, let me sugar intake, basically. But, you know, we'll get into this, you know, some, more, some, some more nuance on that. But back to the animal people. Um, you know, we'll get back to the animal people, too. How are we living? How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Um, the stress is gone for me. I'm stress-free. Nice. Uh, I remember we talked last week about how stress can... Just really anxiety your can body. keep you company. Yeah, I feel a lot better sitting here today. You're like a Gabby on, hanging out. on the other hand, that's why she's not here. Yeah, she's, she's out. In bed. She's sick. Right. Um, it got the best of her, and this is this is a prime example of why you you got. I mean, sometimes there's things that are uncontrollable, mm. but you got to try to control it to the best of your ability. Yeah, because and if you don't, it, it it will hurt you. It'll cripple you. It, it'll hurt you. Yeah, like we were talking about last week, you gotta accept what you accept that you've done as much as you could possibly do at the end of the day, so you can just let it go and relax and watch, you know, your show, hang out with your loved ones, put your head to the pillow and close your eyes, mm-hmm. lose consciousness for the appropriate amount of time to take care to take care, you know, so your body can take care of business and so that you can move on with life and thrive. Um, I'm trying to think if there's been any food things. Well, I mean, you started off with the sugar. I mean, yeah, there's the article. There's the article. In my good. diet. Good, good, um, good. I'm down to my coffee. As we go through my coffee chronicles, as my battle with coffee was real. Mm-hmm. I used to think it was okay pouring that international delight in my coffee. Even though I wasn't pouring, you know, like like pouring the actual sugar in there, and then I went to okay, that was bad, and I was using the sugar packets. I was using like a half international and a half. delight does sound kind of like oh, when you really it think sounds about filthy. It, it sounds, like sounds filthy, and it is filthy. It sounds like a pastry. It and that's sounds pouring in there. You're pouring a small. Pastry. It sounds like a code word for something you do in the back alley. And um, well, I was drinking like three or four cups of coffee a day. Nobody's watching. So then I switched, and I thought it would be better. I was doing the classic creamer, whether it was half and half or, or whatever was available, milk, and I was putting Splenda. 
And then of course, oh no, oh I that's right, because that's what they use in that stuff, right? The mm -hmm. sucralose, yeah. So then I cut it down to almond milk and truvia, and yeah, I said, better. you know what? Much better. Those two things work. Now there's not even you're truvia. Over both of them. I don't want to yeah. pour nothing in there. The only thing I'm doing is straight coffee. I endorsed and almond milk. Stevia, and yeah, I guess truvia is the brand name for stevia, right? For that that mm -hmm. brand of stevia. So I, I endorse stevia, but I very rarely use it actually. I just don't. I don't. I. If I'm gonna eat sweet things, I'll eat sweet things. I. I've already. I don't drink sweet things. I'm already. I'm over that. I've been over that for a long time, for the most part. Um. But uh, I. I like my coffee. I guess bitter. I like the cream. You know, as I talk, I like the cream. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, some grass-fed butter. Sometimes a little bit all three of those to start my day. And for the right person, um, you can go hours and hours without having to eat food, really. Intermittent fasting is something that people do. You gotta like get your you know, make sure you're taking care of it taking care of physicals and getting your blood tested to make sure you don't have some condition or disease, you know, if you're but with that being said, intermittent fasting can be very I heard I walked past someone today who said you should eat five meals a day. Um, for some people, you'd have to for like diabetics and stuff, but there are other and it ways. depends on what for the right individual. You know, I mean, you know, if you're going to go too too far, if you're going to go far from what the USDA says, you know, I got to advise to uh, consult the appropriate medical professional, of course, like we did at the top, but. There's a lot of options out there, and uh, trying, uh, you know, starting your day with a nice, dense, healthy fat like that, and you don't want to eat too much fat, but it's 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 worth it. It pays dividends. You can get through a lot of your day without losing, you know, losing steam, losing energy, and you don't have that late afternoon slog necessarily. Eggs, eggs are eggs are great way to start the day. As we talked. I'm trying to think if there's anything new in my day-to-day -day diet. Any, any, what did I do? I don't know. I can't. Mm, it seems like there might be something there. Got some nice, uh, nice bacon. Super healthy, nitrate-free, and all that. Cooked in grass-fed butter on the gas pound skillet. Always winner. That's how I like to start. I give that to uh, my kid. Actually, he's been he's been into some bacon in the morning. And he still likes waffles or a muffin. And even though I try to avoid these kind of things, uh, I still can't quite say no. So I'll balance out the waffle or muffin with the bacon. And maybe some fruit, but sometimes I might save the fruit for a little bit later because the bread products are going to be a carb hit and I want to save the sugars from the fruits, even though um, it's good for you very nutrient dense um, executive producer waddle 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 goodbye oh well Gabby's proxy has left the building <laughs> um, alright well enough of that if I think of anything else with food we'll get back to it I feel like I'm neglecting something but I'll move on anyway back to the animal people so people that hate people but love animals what they hate about people i mean and people you know we work with the we work with the public so we we have plenty of reason to hate people we mm -hmm. see it all and we see people at their worst to to an extent we see people where there are no consequences for their actions so mm -hmm. they're right at they're right on the precipice of that kind of worse which is almost worse than if you're like living in a dangerous environment you might be checking yourself a bit more than the guy just like the masses coming into a, a corporate restaurant you know like they can people can act buck wild <laughs> people can be mean uh people can be abusive people can be advantageous people can be users so we are we have we have and i am still a people person i still like people sometimes there's too many i feel like i'm spread too thin and i i i what I don't like about it is sometimes I just I can't talk to all the people as much as I would like to just because there's 
too many of them and there's too many too much responsibility that I have to do like it's not you know in some in, in some aspects in some in, in other parts of the hospitality there is a bigger focus on trying to visit and talk to every single person but our the nature of our work is not as such mm-hmm. uh, you can to a point you gotta balance it out but there's still you just still gotta work too you gotta work those conveyor belts in the back or, or whatever um, but I digress people are often unlikable when they're ignoring logic reason rationale injustice and letting their base desires take over when they're being animalistic the things that we don't like about a lot of people when they are they're at their base they're more they're closer to just their id their pure unfettered id where they can just be an animal especially if they're hungry uh i think it's you know it's ironic because that you know the in the 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 new looser definition of ironic it's not exactly the exact definition of irony but for all intents and purposes it's ironic that animal lovers are animal lovers possibly and I, I mean not just animal lovers I'm about people that are into animals and not really into people also mm-hmm. you know you can be an avid animal lover and that's that's not those aren't that's not the people I'm talking about mm-hmm. I'm talking about people that seclude themselves into the shroud of being an animal lover and have you know not 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 very have just severed a lot of human relationships and um, I mean if you're working a lot and everything and you got a lot going on that's that's one thing and there's a lot of I don't want to draw any lines in the sand or anything and be presumptuous but just the idea of, of an animal lover I'm not thinking of not even necessarily anybody that I know but um, you know how ironic is that that they Perhaps are retreating into the shroud of animals that you know. I guess th- that because they don't like the animalistic behavior in the human beings that they've encountered and the people that I don't know. You know what I mean? Or they like to control the situation too much. There's that too. People who have all of their own pets, yeah, mm-hmm. and all those pets are beholden to them. That's an interesting thing. Pets that I, that started control. to started to sort of think of that. And As they I give you that unconditional love, that, no matter yeah. your looks, your 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 gender, your your race, anything. They just well, give I think you that personality is love. what I'm getting at here more mm-hmm. than any of that stuff because animals and people will be okay with all of those things of all kinds. I mean, you know, there's no, you know, it's not like there's a gender that doesn't make solid human connections. It's not like there's a race or any of that stuff. It's just, but it's you know. And even like unattractive, you know, you're talking about like looks, like people who don't who don't look attractive. They mm-hmm. there are people, plenty of people who don't look attractive who who can still form a very substantial network of human connection and really uh, bond with a lot of people that you know, love them and they love family, friends, all that stuff. Um, <coughs> people are funny. Everybody's different. I'll tell you that. <laughs> People are funny. I, don't know, I guess there's not. Too, I don't know. I guess there might not be too much else to say on that. It's just an interesting thought I had. About mm-hmm. one of those where you kind of, kind of gave it away in the uh, in the intro. But that's fine. <coughs> we can retread. Let's see what else we got. What else we got? Come here, Harvard. What you got to say? Okay, this is not today. This is July 12, 2008 by Brett Milano, a Harvard correspondent for the Harvard Gazette, Health and Medicine, and the Unsavory Side of Sugar. Well, sugar is part of the root of all evil. Symposium examines sweeteners' effects on human body and on public policy. Let's see. 
Quote, how is the knowledge of the metabolic effects of sugar affected policy? What gaps are there in our knowledge of dietary intake of sugar? And what is the real effect of sweeteners on us? We are trying to identify gaps in our knowledge and inform a policy to move ahead and improve public health. Harvard Medical School Professor of Medicine Stephen Grinspoon said before Wednesdays and Thursdays in symposium, which he co-organized. During the keynote speech at 19th Annual Harvard Nutrition and Obesity Symposium, Epidemiologic, Physiologic, and Policy Considerations of the Sugar Epidemic, Duke University Professor Kelly Brown addressed the gap between scientific research and its impact on policy. You can liken it to a relay race. We think that our work will have the magical effect of someone picking it up from us, but we're really bad at passing the baton, he said. Brown called for a new model of strategic research that would target scientific work at change agents, such as legislators, courts, the press, the public, and the food industry. As an example of how this can work, he said when fast food restaurants were required to post their menus, calorie content, and other nutritional information, the industry lobbied for an exemption for drive through windows. Brownell, then at Yale University, parked outside a local McDonald's and counted the number of drive through customers who seemed to outnumber those inside the restaurant. He then commissioned a formal study and found that drive through accounted for 60% of fast food business. As a result of his study, the exemption was denied. Another case involved misleading labeling, the speaker said, was when in 2009 the food industry launched a Smart Choices label for food packaging, which touted that a given product was high in nutritional value. The problem, Brownell said, was that the industry made these determinations itself. Though the American Society of Nutrition had a grant to administer the program and let it legitimacy, it wasn't making the selections. It was very self-serving, Brownell said. For example, the cereal industry had tough guidelines for salt and pretty lax ones for sugar, which meant that even a sugar-heavy cereal like Cocoa Krispies could go without a Smart Choices label. Knowing he couldn't directly confront the industry, Brownell instead contacted Connecticut Attorney General Richard Blumenthal, who sent letters to the Nutrition Society asking for records of how the products were vetted and what criteria were used. If he contacted the food companies, they would have just taken time and stalled it. But societies are less used to hearing from attorney generals, Brownell said. Blumenthal's letters dovetailed with a New York Times article that criticized the Smart Choices program, and the combination of the article and investigation turned public sentiment against the program. Smart Choices was killed off only six weeks after it was introduced. All right, I don't want to read the whole article for word, but I thought that was pretty cool. I like that stuff. Yeah, it's good to hear about people you know these institutions having an effect and really I mean that's how you do it you know you gotta they're actually like taking action and hitting you know change agents like they said like going to the going to the government going to those legislators and you know like these are the you know it's it's I wonder it's interesting I'd like to know more about how they how they manage that Event co-organizer Frank Hu, the Frederick J. Stair Professor of Nutrition and Epidemiology Chair, Department of Nutrition at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, said evidence shows a clear link between soda and childhood obesity, and the problem continues through adulthood. Yeah, pretty much one of the, like the, the top article talked about, this is a focus on sugar-sweetened beverages, SSBs. I tried to skip that to kind of tighten it up a little bit, but that is definitely worth noting. Uh, who said the average American consumes 22 teaspoons of added sugar a day, and soda is not the only culprits? Fruit juices may be healthier, but are considerably less healthy than whole fruits. Something else that we talked about many times here, and it's no, not new news, but it still seems like something that a lot of people don't know. And sports drinks are associated with a higher BMI, body mass index, a factor that's not alleviated by playing sports. So, I don't want to name, I try, I, try, I try to avoid naming too many brands that I'm not recommending, but sports drinks. Don't, just drink water, you know, eat right, protein, salt. I never bought into that Salt, stuff. Like, I mean, the electrolytes and the salt water. and everything. Um, I mean, I have to look into exactly what it is. I mean, they do do something. There's something about those electrolytes. I don't. I think it's more than just salt water, but you don't need that stuff to do it. Uh, 
Well, to wrap things up, they just said Thursday's panels were set to look at the metabolic effects of fructose versus glucose, the development of sweet taste preferences in childhood, and possible interventions for sweetened beverage consumption. Well, that's cool. They're trying to figure stuff out. It's a couple of good anecdotal, uh, you know, a couple of good anecdotes about it at least. There was something else to this, but eh, I guess not. I guess I just like the fact that they were talking about how soda and fruit, fruit juice. I've always heard the number one obesity usually is what you drink. Because it's, it's easy. Number, yes. It's easy. It goes down so quick. You don't realize you're drinking those. Like for me, it was coffee. I didn't realize the coffee was taking such a huge hit mm -hmm. on my body. Um, some people don't realize it because they're just drinking a couple sodas that there's three or four sodas they have in a day. That's the reason they're, they can't lose that 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, there's iced tea. Don't get the misconception on lemonade, on, on all of these types yeah. of drinks. Unsweet I mean, tea is something you can drink. Coffee is something you can drink. Unsweet's different, yeah, yeah. But the sweet tea, you got to stay away from yeah. the sweet teas. I guess it's good. Uh, I like to drink seltzer water, flavored seltzer water. Today I was out to eat, and dude got me. <clears throat> Do you want your water still or sparkling? I want sparkling. Came out with the bottle. I was like, oh, you're not getting it from a soda gun. I'm so stupid. Of course I got to pay for the sparkling. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of that. But that's cool. I was glad. I wouldn't have chosen it, but I'm glad I got it. It was nice. Um, green tea something that always comes up as something healthy teas in general can be pretty good green tea just has a, a lot of caffeine in it right yeah i hear a lot of people talk about they don't they can't understand why they can't sleep at night well yeah i wouldn't drink it at night i'm sent i try to be i try to be sensitive with caffeine intake i try to not have caffeine too late because i like me don't get to sleep mm -hmm. nice but i've heard green tea is, is a Sleep's sneaky monster for caffeine not bad for you they say they they it's actually got a lot of health benefits yeah I always hear people recommend green tea. Mm, it always uh, makes those lists mm -hmm. for a good reason. But they said if you drink it later in the day, just remember if you're up late at night and you wonder why you can't sleep or you mm. fall off your sleeping pattern, it's because you can of the get green tea. Decaf, but I don't even like drinking decaf stuff. I like teas that are that are naturally not caffeinated, so they haven't had the caffeine extracted. Because even things that have had the caffeine extracted, there's still going to be some caffeine in there. Decaf coffee. I think at this point I would just my brain wouldn't go to sleep because I would know I taste of coffee. Perhaps if I drank decaf coffee and I got Men in Black zapped, uh, maybe I'd be able to go to sleep. But I don't know. I can't tell if it's a placebo effect or not. But I'm not drinking coffee within like after like five. Mm -hmm. And I try, I don't drink too much caffeine early in the day either. A little bit. Drink a little bit. I'm down to two cups. I cut my caffeine and I have half caffeinated coffee. This was my second cup of the day that's still sitting here. Mm -hmm. And look how full that is. I didn't even get through it. Oh, dude. Yeah, I would I would have handled that. That's for sure. Especially if it was only the second. But my coffee's all... Well, if it was full strength cups of coffee, I might do three. Maybe. I don't know. And then sometimes when I get to work, because we work a night job, mm -hmm. if I go in at four or five o'clock... I always have a cup of coffee when I first get to work. Just give me that extra. Yeah, that's usually when I'll have energy. my only full strength cup. So I guess, yeah, I guess before I go to work, I'll have one or two small pots of half caffeinated coffee, which each is maybe, uh, I mean, I guess different. I would say one full, one full cup of coffee, even though the labeling might argue with me a little bit. Uh. I like not having that caffeine addiction. I used to have to need it as soon as I got up. And that's, that's no good. That's no mm -hmm. good. That's no I think I'm good on the food and the healthy health talk. You want to talk movies? Let's get into some, uh, we call this dessert. I, uh, my, you know, as a credentialed writer, my English education has given me, uh, Lots of practice diving into cultural artifacts, which is what we're going to do here. I was a avid, heartfelt fan of film long before that. When I was a wee lad, watching Pulp Fiction on mm -hmm. the big screen, my mind blown. 
this is what you can do with this medium. That's when I got into writers and directors, and ever since then, it's just kind of been in my blood. Even so, there I go through stages where I don't consume a lot of pop culture. I have a lot of different interests and a lot of different responsibilities, and uh, a lot of those human connections I was talking about earlier, actually. Um, but uh, the, I just uh, it, it, it's sort of like a second language to me like I have a sixth sense well I don't know I don't, I don't want to go that far but it's in my blood I love I love all the different connections I love being able to gauge what, what a movie is based on the crew behind it and the creatives involved and the performers of course mm-hmm. and how actors evolve over over their careers and sometimes they'll bring things and the variety and all that stuff it's uh it's in a fractured nicheified cultural landscape movies are something that do unify all walks of humanity all over the globe mm-hmm. uh, how many people have seen I mean I haven't but what, skyscraper the rock skyscraper that I thing have is not killing it all over the world every mm-hmm. like every single race gender what all the all the, the list of the different things you were talking about earlier as far as ugly people <laughs> only have animals for rent like all of those people all kind everybody that fits in all those categories has seen the rock in the last two weeks maybe maybe you and i haven't but you know a bunch of people that look like us have and a bunch of people that look like everything all over the world have seen it so there's just something special about cinema Rock. That transcends and the Rock, yes, in the Rock, he makes bad movies good. Skyscraper should not be good, but I believe, like I was saying, it's going to be good because it's the Rock and it's going to be entertaining. The Jumanji remake should not have been good, but the Rock made it good. I don't mm-hmm. think Kevin Hart could have made it good without the Rock. I, I don't know. The Rock brought it all together. The Rock I love is the cast like he it, it's it, he made it's he made it, and I think he makes everybody around him great. Like it's mm-hmm. he, I'm not I am. Very skeptical of Jack Black. I love Jack Black and Cable Guy. There's in High Fidelity, especially like those two movies are very near and dear to my heart. But other them in Tropic Thunder. Uh, oh yeah, Tropic Thunder was great. You're right. Yes, yes, yes. That's pretty much it, though, as far as my love for I Jack agree with Black. You. I like, didn't, I didn't like a lot of his movies. I, yeah. well, I got 11 minutes in the School of Rock, and I was like, I was like, I'm man. good. I got Everybody told me I had to, to watch live. it, and I was no, like, I'm good, man. Thank you. I don't need it. Nah, nah. I heard. So I recently joined a Bill and Ted three page on social media, and someone suggested that Jack Black reprise Rufus's role because you know George Carlin is dead, and of course Rufus in the Bill and Ted movies. Quick reminder: is a guy who helps him travel through time. Um, gross. Please no. Please no. And then they mentioned Dave Grohl, and I was like, that's better than Jack Black, but please no. Also, mm-hmm. please, please no. God no. Ugh. Jack Black also did the Goosebumps. He's doing. He's I mean, I like both of them in their own thing, but please don't be Rufus. Those mm-hmm. two should not be be Rufus. I like some, you know, Dave Grohl's have complicated relationships with the, <laughs> both of those artists. Uh, they've done things that I love very much, but also things that I don't. I don't want to be Rufus. Um, rock movies. I guess we're still sort of in the intro. I don't know. I guess I could wrap it up by saying, man, of course The Rock, man. Even he makes my intro better. Yeah, that I'm about to start the, the show Ballers here soon. thing is four and a half stars. I can't. I'm not. Eventually, one day. But no. I got, I got, I got, I got to. I can't. I can't. I got a life to live. I got things to do. I got obligations. I can't start a new series. I'm more. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Maybe one day. I'm just pretending like Ballers doesn't exist because I just don't want to get sucked in. I haven't seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies. I've seen bits of I all of them. I refuse to watch those. They're probably great. I mean, they're mm-hmm. probably very entertaining. They have the type of action in a movie that I just do not care for. I almost might even skip to the fourth one. I might just start with four. The at fourth this point. one was terrible. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. I mean, let me give you a synopsis. Uh, movie started, movie ended, and it all sucked. <laughs> How many of them have you seen? I saw the first three. I like the first three. It was the first one with Vin Diesel, obviously a classic, yeah. Paul Walker. And then the second one, Vin Tokyo Diesel Drift. went away. No, the second one was it was a Tyrese. It was Tyrese, and actually it went a little darker. Too and fast, it was actually too pretty furious. Good. 
I actually remember I remember enjoying that movie. Well, the third one was a straight to video the Tokyo, Tokyo Drift, Drift, and that Vin, one was Vin un- Diesel popped in the end. Great ending. Like a, um, it was like a post credit scene kind of. It was a good movie. That's where Ludacris came in. So when did The Rock come in? Was he in the fourth one or no? No. Wasn't in the fourth one. Fourth one was when Vin Diesel came back, and Vin Diesel didn't just come back as his character, but I guess he became Superman. And that's when they just, all became like superheroes, right? Just, that was when they turned. Uh, and then I think Rock came in and Fast Five. Rock brought the franchise back, I thought. Well, we adding him start with those, but it Remember, sounds crazy. <laughs> that was the summer where they were adding Rock to these established franchises mm. that were kind of going downhill. Jumanji shouldn't have been good. San Andreas shouldn't have been good. They were good. Mm-hmm. Isn't um, Rock supposed to play Black Adam? I am not sure if that's still happening or not, but yes. Yes, he was. Um, all right, well, we'll talk more about Rock later, probably, or tomorrow or something. But uh, just to wrap up, why I have the, why we, you know, we're cultural commentarians. Um, I have written film shorts, I've written screenplays, directed film shorts. For academia, I was a columnist for two publications, thrice published poet and the entertainment editor for my high school newspaper. Definitely talk shop, especially when it comes to movies. Is there any good movies you've seen in the last week? Mm-hmm. What do you got? Um, while I was bedridden, sick from stress, mm-hmm. um, actually, one of them, the first one I'm going to bring up is I watched today. I rewatched one of my favorite classics of all time, um, I watched half of it last night while I was going to bed, and I remember I just watched the other half right before you got here. I was laying down trying to catch a nap before you got here because it's been a very busy day. That's a good team. And I threw the movie on and finished it, and still love it just as much the first time I saw it. But Heat with Robert Oh, paid off! You paid off the build-up, man. Yes. 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 I mean, you just want to go back yes. and watch it. And I looked up the ratings he, and everything he, on it. Is that Michael Mann? Michael Mann, yes. Directed by Michael Mann. Yes. Back to Rotten Tomatoes. Like Michael Mann is, he's a, he's only, like, he doesn't do movies every couple of years like Spielberg or whatever. Like, he's, just, he's done, like, five movies, but they're mm-hmm. just like, boom! Like, mm-hmm. woo! And this was his best one by far. I mean, mm-hmm. he was perfect from beginning to end. It was everything I think he, he did wanted. Collateral. He did collateral, yeah, but, but I back on he, back on he. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get into Michael Mann's filmography. But I, I still think he was his best work of art. It just was, it was brilliant from the beginning to the end. Um, Al Pacino, it's and recognized De Niro as his best work, definitely. Finally I would say. came together in a movie, and they only had yeah. I mean, they, two they were in Godfather too, but they weren't ever in. They weren't ever acting with each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, this was they had two had, scenes together in this movie, mm-hmm. and those scenes are so memorable uh, they do not yes, leave your head. Yes. I mean, their talk at that coffee shop. I mean, Michael Mann. I think I talked. I think we talked Steven Soderbergh lately. Like, he's a master. Mm. He's a master. He just the his. It's a loud subtlety. It's you, you. You can't teach it. You can't explain it. I mean, you can you can pick it apart and explain it, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't. Uh, it's it's, For it's all something else. Evolved it something in that else. Movie. Everybody was just mm-hmm. perfect. Everybody. I mean, let's From not Tom don't Sizemore sneeze on Val Kilmer, of course. To Val Kilmer. Uh, Ashley Judd, John Voight. Was Ashley Judd Val Kilmer's wife, yes. girlfriend? Yes. Oh, it was just, I forgot that was Ashley Judd. Yeah. It really was. She it was, was I, man, I mean, when you can forget that that's at, when, I mean, I know Ashley Judd. Mm-hmm. When you when you can forget that, she did that role so well, I couldn't mm-hmm. remember being Ashley Judd. Well, John Voight was in it, too. Who was John Voight? John Voight was the, like, kind of like Robert De Niro's boss. The guy Robert De Niro always went to. You mean Pacino? Wait. Pacino, yes, you're right. Yeah, Pacino. So he was like the lieutenant? No, he was the old guy. No, no, he was... No, 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 I was right. De Niro's guy. So he's like a, he was a crime boss. He was like kind of like their guy to help him with all types of situations. Like at the very end when Val Kilmer was running away and he had to completely change his identity. It's funny, I him. kept picturing John Lithgow. I mean, John Voight, John Voight, John Voight. He looks... Yeah, but you know what? If you look They don't him, look all that different either. Well, no. In that movie in particular, though, John Voight looked very different. Okay. He looked very different okay. than what you're used to. I mean, it was just... It, that movie was beautifully put together. They tied up every loose end perfectly. It was just well-written, well-thought-out, beautifully acted. Natalie Portman was in that movie. She, uh, she was the kid. 
She was young. What kid? She couldn't have been any older was than she 15 Val years kid? old. Did Val no. Kilmer have a kid? Did it was Al Pacino's wife. It was her kid through a different marriage. What? And Al Pacino, she looked at Al Pacino as her father figure. What? I forgot about that completely. You could, well, because she was so young. I forgot about that whole subplot. There's, she it's really, been years. Hank Azaria's in that movie. Yeah, she Danny really Trey has it. Henry yeah. Rollins is in that movie? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Dang. Tone Loke. <laughs> it was an Jeremy all-star Piven? cast. Jeremy Piven? Jeremy Piven had a very small cameo role. Very small. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a three-hour movie, but that's not a waste of anybody's Ted time. Levine. Who's that? He played Bosco. I don't know who Bosco is. Oh, I don't want to download It's it. one of those movies that's three hours, and I was never the, the The serial killer from Silence of the Lambs yeah. is Ted Levine. Yeah. He was in Heat. Yeah. Bro! Yeah. He was in Shutter Island and Wild Wild West. And he played, he played a very good and role, And Jurassic too. World 5. No kidding! And here and now, also this year, of oh, that—that's the HBO series with Tom Robbins and uh, uh, Holly Hunter. You got a couple of kids. Man, Ted Levine is Ted Levine's getting out there, man. He's in some relevant stuff. Jurassic World Five and here and now. They ate the the Alienist. Man, what brought Ted? What, where did Ted, where's Ted Levine been sleeping? He's he was in the Lethal Weapon revamp TV series. He's lucky that he was in Ray Donovan. Dang, bro. Is Ted, he in Ray Donovan? Apparently, Ted Levine. You know, it might be because he looks so different from his days well, in, in Heat. And, I mean, oh, and Amy Brenneman was in Heat. Who is who is that? I feel like I'm dumb. I feel like and I that movie was that done is. in 1995. Judging Amy, Amy Brenneman. She's also in Nine Lives, Fear, The Leftovers, Veep. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say Private Practice, Robot Chicken. Yeah, Amy Brenneman, very relevant. She's the name that pops out when you have when you pull up Heat on Google before De Niro or Pacino. Like it's look at that, look at that. You pull up Heat, Amy Brenneman pops up. That's weird. I don't know. All right, Michael Mann. Anything else about Heat? That was epic. Those two coming together, you're right. Other than watching it. And that movie was like three hours and 15 minutes long, but you're still, you're just transfixed. It's a masterpiece. It's, like two hours. it's it a was two master, hours with something like that. Yeah, I guess I should. Yeah. And it was in 1995, they made it. It's a classic 90s movie, and they just nailed it. 170 minutes. What did we say? Two, yeah, two hours. Two hours and 15 minutes. Two, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just got done watching it before you got here, so I'm, it's fresh in my mind. Well, what, um, all right, so, so, well, let's, let's dive, let's dive, dive in on Heat, then. What makes Heat so great? It's got, so it's got a lot going on, a lot, okay, so I forgot all about, Al, we talked about Al Pacino's stuff he's got going on, and, well, what exactly is it with the, with the girl? It's his ex-wife, it's his ex-wife's daughter, but he's still, wife. so his wife. Even though they're having marital problems, it's Al Pacino plays okay. a guy who's married to his job. Mm. Okay. He catches... Serial killers. He catches, you know, he's he's, yeah, he's the sickos. top level. Yeah. So he's 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 got a lot going on that he doesn't want to burn his wife with, but consequently, he has some, to go on a drop like of a dime. Distance. Oh, okay. Yeah. And of course, Robert De Niro. He's, he's he. That's all he knows is is, is how to. How's his relationship place. with Natalie Portman? Like, what does does anything happen with that? Or is Natalie that just, Portman? That's like his. You said it's his daughter figure. I mean, is there anything going yeah. on with that? Like, I don't even remember her at all. It was just like... It she was just in one or two scenes? Like, like her father bailed on her. Always bailing on her. Always driving her it's crazy. It's part of the argument Al Pacino's like, I care for your daughter. I treat your daughter like she's my own. He just he, he oh, showed, was, showed he just had a special bond with it's her. It's getting there. That's a, that's a step in the right direction for Pacino. But that's that's rough. It's rough. Very rough. Um... So what? It's just she looked up to him as a father figure. He was the only. So it's just sort of she's there to sort of give him heart and to make us sympathize with him a little bit more. Like yes, trying. Okay, okay. So, Especially okay. since she chose his house to try to commit suicide. Um, <laughs> Way to bury the headline. <laughs> what it was? Natalie Portman. And he saved her. Did that yeah. happen in the movie? Uh huh. Okay, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> so that's. Right before the ending, right before the end scene, that's what happens. <laughs> Tries to make sure that he's human. 
and then he goes, you know, and then he goes and plays cops and robbers again. Gets De Niro at the end, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just beautifully told between two different sides. It's like you were rooting for Al Pacino, but you were also rooting for Robert De Niro. You, it was like it, it was one of those very rare movies where you're rooting for the good guy and the bad guy. And you almost didn't want to see the payoff. Yeah, I mean, Robert De Niro, I guess he's trying to get his one last score. He was trying to be professional. He didn't want to kill anybody. Problem. Crazy guy. So no, it's, that it's, was the beginning. Yeah, the, well, the begin. Well, yeah, but this is, I mean, ultimately what sets forth the chain of action, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can't, I mean, I can't remember the details. It's been years, fortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got you to iron out the details. Um, so Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, and dude... Um, White balding dude with crazy long hair. Uh, Wayne Grow. What? His name's Wayne Grow in the movie. That's that's the guy that played in the Silence of the Lambs. That was Ted Levine. Mm-hmm. He was the third dude. <laughs> well, there was so Buffalo no, Bill. There was one, two, three, Buffalo four. Bill. There was five. But the guy who was the troublemaker. The troublemaker was the guy Buffalo who Bill, the yeah. guy who he just straight up murdered a murdered a guard, right? For no reason, looking like at he, funny. yeah, he said the guy was looking at funny. And what was the guard like down, face down, with his hands behind his head or something? Or he was just standing there in shock. That's right, he was just standing there. Did he have his gun up or anything? No, he was just standing there in shock, and he just had right. like, a stupid face. Right, I, I mean, yeah, it, just, it looked like a stupid face because yeah. he's he's just standing but he wasn't there. he wasn't threatening at all. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Wow, that's Ted Levine. That's mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. But then also he was my a serial is, killer in the movie. My mind is blown. I'm trying to catch my breath. My heart is racing right now. Because he, I mean, it's, what a great person to pull, to, to, to just drop in there, Michael Mann, mm-hmm. to be the, 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 the catalyst for the chain of events for the movie, basically, because Homeboy, I think his name is Nate, Nick, what did you say his name was? For? Ted Levine? Wayne Grow. Wayne. Wayne Grow. It says Bosco. Are you sure that's him? Mm-hmm. Why are they calling him Bosco? Is that his like, street know. name in the movie? I don't even get the Bosco. His name is definitely Wayne Grow. Okay. Um, he murders a guard, which I guess brings the heat on them, which really makes them want to investigate. It's more just a bank robbery. It's a murder of a, a bank guard. Uh, was Al Pacino already... Do you remember if Al Pacino was already like trying to track down these bank robbers? Is it that kind of deal? Because they were professionals. They showed up. They laid down the military-grade street spikes. To, to, to really, they had assault yeah, they weapons. Were, they, they, were, they, they had SWAT gear on. They were re- This was supposed to be a big score, but they were all supposed to be professionals. Ted Levine's got an itchy trigger finger, and he's nuts. So that's part that's another part of the part of the issue uh, the, the well he was also a sloppy serial killer he was um you know obviously they were looking for him they were going to kill him in the parking lot for being so sloppy and then was he, he a away. serial killer in that too yeah he was uh he was he was like um it was pretty much pr- young prostitutes like 16 17 okay. year old prostitutes this is to sound kind of he would sleep with them and then all of a sudden go crazy and, and bash their heads in <laughs> whoa I forgot about that. Let's see. <laughs> Executive producers back just in time. Written by Michael Mann. Let's see if anybody else wrote this movie or was it just him? Oh, that's not what I want. I think he wrote he wrote this. Like he wrote this movie. This is just written by him. Mm-hmm. This is not based on anything. Yeah, this was this co-written was, by anything. This was Michael, Michael Mann's. Mann in, in my opinion, this was his this. finest work, and I love Collateral. Love, love, love Collateral. Yeah, there's a strong but argument to be made for Collateral. That's the first thing that came to piece my mind. Of work. I mean, even I went to Rotten Tomatoes and I realized I got a 95% rating from Dude. the critics and the fans. Dude. Dude. So, Michael Mann wrote the screenplay for Manhunter. Let me make sure I'm not going to confuse this with something. sure this is the movie that I think it is. Wait. Maybe not. What? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. The first scene of Electra movie is Manhunter before mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Talking about Ted Levine being the serial killer in Silence of the Lambs. Michael Mann, director of Heat, who chose to have Ted Levine, Buffalo Bill, and Silence of the Lambs in his movie, wrote Manhunter, 
I mean, before that, it had nothing to do with Buffalo Bill, and Ted Levine was not in it. <coughs> um, yeah, dude from CSI was in it. I guess that was also based on, let's see, based on the book Red Dragon. That's right. So this is this was the prequel to Silence of the Lambs. It wasn't mm-hmm. based on Silence of the Lambs. It was based on Red Dragon, which was remade with Ed Norton and good movie. The the you know the current Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. who we all know is Hannibal Lecter. But Manhunter was a solid film. Dennis Farina was was dope in it. He's down there. Brian Cox. Hannibal was the only Brian one Cox that played Hannibal Lecter. That was like meh. Hannibal was. Okay, at best, in my opinion. Was, I mean, Hannibal was somewhere between Red Dragon and yeah. Silence of the Lambs. It was it's strange, mm-hmm. and the book ended different. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, that is, movie was just a little weird. I believe in the book, she ran off with him. Clarice ran off with Doctor Lecter in the book. I believe. I read it, but it's been a, it's been years. Weird, but That's you can weird. almost buy it. Yeah. I guess they felt like the cinema audience could, would not be able to stomach that. They could stomach. Silence of the Lambs was creepy. Yeah, really. I remember watching. I think that, that might have been Jonathan creepy. Demme. He was a great director. We'll check that out in a minute. Oh, we gotta check it out now. We're gonna quick. All right, all right we got we got a quick quick digression to find out who. Here, um, Silence of the Lambs. And then we're going to dive into Michael Mann's, Michael Mann's career. Performance of the Lambs. Come on. That's what I want. Why? Why are you making me go through more pages? You're such a jerk. What? What? Why are we still waiting? Why do I not already have my answers? Jonathan Demme. I was right. Thomas Harris, shout out. He wrote all the all the Hannibal Lecter books, by the by. Jonathan Demme did Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia. Adaptation. Dude, adaptation. I thought it Oh, he produced adaptation. Okay, he's known for these movies. He directed the first two, like I said. He also directed some 2016 Justin Timberlake movies. Uh, oh, the killing! He did some some of the killing. That was a great murder TV series on the killing AMC. I think phenomenal. Nobody that you know. That, that's not Kevin Bacon, is it? No. No. Wasn't that called know. the killing too? Um. You know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about Stir of Echoes? Mm-mm. No. Are you talking about um um? Um, the like Boston crime movie, murder movie. No, it was like a cult, a cult. Like, yeah, it was like cult murder. I mean, it was like huh. people were dying left and right. Oh, I can't I, remember the name. I really of thought it. Jonathan Demme had done more. Like, he's not Demi Attorney candidate. Dude, 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 feel stupid. Beloved, direct Beloved. That's definitely. Oh no, that was the following. Okay. What's the that following? makes sense. What's that's, the, the, that's that movie I was thinking about with Kevin Bacon. What's it about? What's the what's the synopsis right there? Pretty much, Kevin Bacon's a cop, and the following is literally like a cult leader, a very very powerful influence. So it's just a movie when it comes out. Cult leader, yeah, and they're just going when, around what year? stabbing people. Two thousand thirteen to fifteen. Oh, the TV series. Yeah. That, okay. What's it called again? You said the the following. Okay. Yeah. 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 Was that any good? Did you ever see any of it? Or you just it was okay. It? I mean, the twist. Does it have a rating there? What are you looking at? I can look at it. It got fifty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seven point five out of ten on IMDb. Interesting. Uh, TV.com gave it seven point one. That's about right. I okay. gave it. I would have probably gave it about a six or seven. It was enough to keep me interested, but it was almost like the plot twists and turns mm. was a little too much. Like, I love a good plot twist. I love Yeah, if you're turns, doing it too much, yeah. But it was almost yeah. just way too much for my life. It liking. stops being a twist and it starts just being And I remember garbage. thinking the second season was better than the first because they just took a whole different direction that I really enjoyed. All right, so Jonathan Demme did The Manchurian Candidate, Beloved, Philadelphia, Silence of the Lambs. Married to the Mob. 
He did three episodes of Saturday Night Live between 1980 and 1986. Uh, swing Shift? I don't, I mean, this, uh, those last few, some of the, some of these, like, sound familiar to me, but I've never seen them. I, f- I guess Jonathan Demi is just known for Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> More than anything else. Alright. Alright. Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Where are you at? Michael Mann. That's right, you are on a different tab. Come here. Come here, you. Come here, you. What else have you what else have you done? Do, 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 do. He's directing a miniseries this year. Hugh 1960 he did one episode of Hugh 1968. <clears throat> He's working on an untitled Tony Accardo. Sam Jean Kana biopic. Michael Mann did 2015's Black Hat with somebody Helmsworth. Is that Thor? Was that Chris Helmsworth? Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, he did it with Thor. That movie looked awful. 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Ah, uh, I don't even want to look up the. Oh, you want to look up the the Rotten Tomatoes for Black Hat, or what do you got? Are you looking up something else right now? What do you do? What are you doing? Uh, I was still looking up the following. Oh, okay. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes is on Black Hat? Black Hat? Mm-hmm. What's Black Hat? Oh, you remember that? It was, uh... Movie? Mm-hmm. With Thor. And I guess it's supposed to be sort of inspired by, like, the... Got maybe, a 5.4 ed- out of 10 on IMDb. Got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, Michael Mann. 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert. A What? 3.5 out of 4 from Roger. Yeah, and then Google users, 77% like this movie. So what I'm looking at right here on the top, this is different. But you know what? Let me go to Rotten Tomatoes because the critics, <clears throat> you can't judge by I thought critics, you said 33% man. on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what it said, but this might be the critic score. I don't go by critic score. I go by, well, the, you, oh, there my audience score is even worse, 24%. Dude. Brutal. Michael Mann did uh, 2009's Public Enemies. The feds try to take down notorious American gangsters John Dillinger, Babyface Nelson, and yeah, Pretty didn't have Johnny, De- no, Johnny Depp during the booming crime wave in the 1930s. Yes, it did have Johnny Depp and Christian Bale, Jason Clark, who was excellent in Zero Dark Thirty. He was the interrogator in Zero Dark Thirty. Jason Clark is the man. He was also in one season. He was. He was the shining light in a cop drama called Sh- Chicago PD, I think. Or, uh, all right, Jason Clark, man, this guy. Uh, he was in Everest. He played John Connor in Terminator Genesis, which we can forgive him for that. It's not his fault. He didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on, bro. You guys aren't going to give me his... Uh, he played George Wilson in The Great Gatsby. It's a pretty good movie, actually. I mean, as far as, you know, it's Boz Lerman or something, you know, line-for-line line remakes or whatever, something you've already seen. I guess they brought some cool stuff to it. I don't know. But, uh... Come on, man. What was your television series? It was not a very good series, but he really... He was he was excellent in it. Oh yeah, he was Dawn, he was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He was like the main dude in Planet Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. Uh, the Chicago Code. It had one season. It was kind of cheesy. It was kind of bad writing, but he made it compelling enough, and there was some cool stuff going on. And I guess at the time, maybe I was really jonesing for something halfway decent on Hulu. So take that for what it is worth. Michael Mann is also he also did Miami Vice he was a creator of the television series as well as the director of the movie with Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx I have no idea how that was I don't either I never watched it I I remember it got a lot of hype I remember seeing a lot of previews of that movie 10 on IMDB I'm gonna guess it got a 72 from the audience Nah, 66 with the I, audience. Yeah, I wouldn't have no idea. And I've a never 54. Seen it. I haven't either, but I'm just going to guess. All right. All right. 
I guess we should shout out the Adam Carolla Show's Rotten Tomatoes game because that's basically what I'm doing right now. I think he said did I say 72 and 66 uh huh do 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 Collateral's arguable. He did Ali with Will Smith in 2001, oh. which was oh. supposed to be excellent. The Insider with ni- in the Insider in 1999. So it was two follow-ups to Heat. The Insider. So Heat was 95. The Insider was 99. And that was Pacino and Russell Crowe. Oh, that is Pacino, right? Yeah, that's Pacino. That the Insider was supposed to be excellent. I guess that was the tobacco industry movie. Okay. And then Ali. Did you see Ali? You did. You saw Ali. A long time ago, on some of it, and I didn't finish it. Ooh, so not that good. I've never heard of it. It was good, yeah. Okay. Well, 2004 was Collateral, which was excellent. And I think I remember Public Enemies being solid, but maybe a little long and not very, not as compelling as it could have been. Not as compelling as he. I mean, his movies are, are pretty long, the ones he makes, but I mean. 1992, The Last of the Mohicans. That movie, I, I've no, I've I see I saw it a long time ago when I was a little kid, so I mean I would have been ten when it came out. I might have been eleven or twelve, so I was too young. I can't remember. I'm sure that it is the masterpiece. I am pretty sure that it is. I bet it's a ninety-eight with critics and a ninety-two with audience. I mean, Michael Mann sold me last. Sometimes directors, they, they have one or two masterpieces, and his two masterpieces pieces that are in my movie collection is Collateral and Heat. So he's Yeah, those are my two favorites. Faux show. I think the canon might like him for Last of the Mohicans a little bit more than... Uh... God, in Collateral. That, <clears throat> what did I say? I said 98, 92? All right, I was a little mm-hmm. off. Critics, 95. Audience, 88. Not bad, though. Not bad. I'll take it. I'll I mean, when it. you get into Collateral, that, that Tom Cruise... Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx both effing murder in that yeah. movie, and it was, uh, it wasn't Mark Ruffalo, was it? It was, uh, Brett, Benjamin Bratt, maybe? Was he the dude? Was he the other dude? Was he the I cop? can't remember right now. I'd have to watch that movie again, but oh, I'll tell you I just, I can't get Tom Cruise's part out of my head. Wait, what is, what is Ron Tomatoes saying collateral? Collateral. I'm going to say audience 96. No, no. Critics 96. Audience 88. No. 86. You got a guess or should we just roll? If I had to guess on collateral, I'm going to say around, it's somewhere around the 90 percentile mark for audience and critics. I'll give it the same thing, 92%. Dang. Critics, 86. Audience, 84. Okay. Philistines. That's what they are. They are, they are Philistines. This movie is beautiful. Let's see what they gave Heat. 99? 100? 99? Well, no, I, already, I already know it. I'm not going to say anything. I already All know. Right. So, critics, 99. Audience, 96. What is it? Is it You're close. Know? I think the audience was like 94. And critics was, I, I can't remember. It was 90-something. It was It was very highly rated. And it's What? Justice. The critics gave it 86. Punks. And the audience gave it 94? 94. Yeah. Yeah, it makes more sense. That's why you go by the audience, yeah. Yeah. I like them both. Both of those numbers have some validity. There's something. Because we're talking about the canon here and how, you know, and the critics kind of have a say in shaping. A lot of the movies that the critics. I mean, how come is it that every time when the when the Golden. What is it? The, is it the Golden the Oscars or the Grammys? Grammys? No, no, Grammys is music. The Oscars. Yeah, the when Academy Awards. How come is it that I haven't heard. Ninety percent of the movies. That's that a more made. recent development. It's been becoming a little. It's becoming a little more haughty. It's also because there are. I mean, there are still always going to be a lot of those indie movies coming out and those art housey, you know, whatever. But they don't penetrate to the mainstream like they used to. 
I didn't. I love Guillermo del Toro, and I was not compelled to see Shape of Water. I believe the current champion for Best Picture. <laughs> I, I like to think that the Academy Awards views it as like the Super Bowl. Like mm-hmm. right now, um, the Eagles, like they're the, they're the current champions. Mm-hmm. So right now, the current champion of movies is The Shape of Water. <laughs> you like he just walks around with the belt. Next year, every movie is going to be competing with The Shape of Water. I never even watched it, heard of it, nothing. I don't, I don't get it. Fish dude falls in love with a woman, and uh, they get down. Never even heard of it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is excellent. He did the Hellboy movies, Ron Perlman, and Pan's Labyrinth, which I think is his masterpiece. I got, I mean, I like the Hellboy movies, and they're great, but they, both of those movies have their faults. Especially compared to what MCU is doing, the MCU movies have just—they just s over almost every comic movie that came out, other than the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, mm-hmm. which is your current best trilogy of all time. Mine is Back to the Future. Yours, yours, my—we'll we'll be talking about trilogies. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right. I think the I think the Batman trilogy, if you can view yeah, it I'm objectively going to re- in a vacuum, back to relive that it might be—it might be better than the Lord of the Rings or the Star Wars yeah. trilogy. Those are the other two that really bring it up. And I might I might prefer the Star Wars trilogy to the Batman trilogy, or I might not. But I still might have to argue that structurally, like the Star Wars, yeah, the Star Wars movies are a little choppy. Lord of the Rings the, can be a little long winded and stilted. <clears throat> that Lord of the Rings, that third one, was yeah, about dude. an hour and a half too long. A lot of endings. It was. I was, it was. They should have done the nine-panel split screen like Marty McFly Jr. was watching in the best trilogy of all time, Back to the Future, in the middle movie. Possibly the best movie of the trilogy. If the second of three movies can be your best movie, which it is for Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and Batman, Ooh, and Batman, interesting. Ooh, that's what, Batman we're begins. scholars here, bro. Yes, Batman begins Dark with very Knight. Good. Dark Knight, but Dark Knight took it to a whole different yeah. level. I mean, you could uh, you could maybe make an argument for Batman Begins being the best movie in that series, but I mean, it's hard to deny Heath Ledger's no way, Joker. Yeah. And then the third one was very well. Good the, too. the problem with the second one, the, some of the problems with the second one are the whole subplot with him tracking down the mob boss in is it Japan? Is it Tokyo? Is that where he has to go to to, to get the mob boss? I think it's Tokyo. Either Tokyo or Hong Kong, Japan or China. He's got to he's got to track down the head head boss and extradite him back to the U.S. to or in order to implement the big sweeping law that's going to put all the gangsters in jail forever which gets unearthed in the third one so it, it, I mean it's oh, I guess it's complicated to say whether or not that all people complain that that added unnecessary elements to the story and made it a little too jolted mm-hmm. and maybe they should have focused more on the Joker but it is part of a trilogy because there's a lot of excellent trilogies out there especially in the action movie genre a lot um, of them have a weak sister Die Hard's got Die Hard 2, which is great, but it still it brings it down. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, but... And then the, the other thing about I the I guess I, I can't really speak on Lethal Weapon, because I've seen all those movies, but mm-hmm. I don't know them. And then the fourth one, I mean, they, they surpassed the trilogy. That I, doesn't count. We're talking, I, yeah. I love the fourth one. Yeah. Lethal Weapon 4, mm-hmm. I thought was... Yeah, I did too. That was might have been the first one that I saw. They added Jesse and Chris Rock I think that, that I think when that came out, brilliant. I think when that came out, it made me watch the first three. I can see All right, that. So where, how do we get there? What were we talking about? Michael Mann. <laughs> uh, I feel like we left a bow undone somewhere. Hmm. We're running out of time. Someone might not know, but that's okay. How, what, what made me talk about the nine screens? Oh, that was Lord of the Rings. Now mm-hmm. no more trilogy talk. Damn! I don't know why we start talking trilogies. How do we start talking trilogies? How did that even come up? I don't even know. I don't remember either. I just remember you started talking about trilogies and I got all horny for trilogies. Collateral was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Let's see if that's Benjamin Bratt at the very least. We'll, we'll wrap that bow, if, if nothing else. Who you got? 
It was Mark Ruffalo. Nice. Hulk was in uh, was in Collateral. But yeah, I guess you can't. I guess I mean Heat is such a sweeping epic with so much stuff going on. Collateral is much more of a. I mean, it seems insulting to call it narrow, but a more focused plot. This more centered on those two those two actors and those two characters and Mark Ruffalo's got a pretty important role and all that, but yeah, beautiful film. Beautiful. But it is like three like almost like either two fifths or three fifths of what Heat is mm-hmm. in its way. But it is a masterpiece and God Tom Cruise's role, man. Oh, breathtaking. Yeah, breathtaking. One of his one of I mean I he almost, I almost want to say one of his top five, but that's just because I could say that with an asterisk because he does play a lot of very similar things, and this really stands apart. Mm-hmm. This really is something out there, and all else. All right, well, we hope you have fun at the table. We love when you come by and really appreciate your time. Please tell your friends about us. Like, share, retweet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, where your rookie fight fans and seasoned vets can also find Better Fight Cast, your tightest coverage of the UFC and all things mixed martial arts. The purest best of sport you can follow. Follow Joe Newbauer at Joe Knows MMA, Gabrielle Tambone, Kevin underscore T, and me, Mac Pokemon, Matthew J. Better. We love you guys and girls and everyone else. Peace!